One Hope Church. All right, so say again, good morning, and uh, hop to the end of Matthew chapter 23, and we'll get going in Matthew 24 uh, this morning as well. Um, It's a privilege to be here with you and to look at the Word of God together. We pray that it would be encouraging on this morning and that as we were in our our singing and um, hopefully throughout this message and into our open time, we will worship the Lord in, in spirit and in truth. We'll seek His presence. And we'll have him work in our hearts and minds uh, today. Um, I, I come to you humbly this morning as we finish 23 and go into 24, um, that these words are, are difficult and the whole passage, all of it is difficult to understand. Um, in, in Matthew 24, the entire chapter is, is, um, is tough. And obviously the... Here we have a good bit about the end times and you know your theological lens of what you you know your ideas of what the end times look like and the order of things are definitely going to have an impact on how you read um, the passage. Um, we you know hopefully all of our ideas that we have are formed you know by scripture. That's the that's the goal is that you know we form our ideas based on what the scripture says. But we do have to give an account that whatever particular upbringing you have and, and what you know, church background or you know, what um, you know, current theologians are, are pushing forward as the best ideas of today, like all of that is going to have an influence in one way or another. You know, it might not have influenced you directly, but it might have influenced somebody who taught you in the past, and then therefore that has influenced you. you know, so um, you know, we have to come to these passages, this scripture, you know, humbly, um, and, and seeking, and we have to take it within the context of all of the rest you know, of Scripture. Um, and, and that's re- a really um, important thing, because if, if your conclusions of what Jesus says here in, in 24 um, you know, contradict a lot of the rest of Scripture, well then, it's not what Jesus said, it's the interpretation of it you know, that needs to, to change. Um, but I think, we're, and, I, and I'll be able to illustrate this a little bit more as we go on, we, we have to understand, like, prophecy is hard. Like, it's, it's difficult. Like, it, it just is difficult. It's not simple. Um, and so we come humbly before the scripture uh, this morning. But let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll read this and, and move forward together. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the opportunity and the privilege we have to open your word uh, this morning, for have it speak truth into our lives, we pray that you would increase our understanding um, and that also you would increase our application um, of that understanding. Uh, Lord, your, your word is not something to be looked at and studied and walked away from and forgotten, but it's something to be um, lived and applied and become part of who we are. Uh, and that you would use it, Father, to make us more like your son, Jesus, and that you would instruct us and empower us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus, your precious name. You are our Savior and our King, and we thank you this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, so I just want to um, hit real quick, at the, you know, in chapter 23, um, and obviously prior chapters, 
you know, Jesus, and especially in chapter 3, though, Jesus is really just, just hammering the Pharisees. Um, he's hammering the Pharisees from how um, they, they do things. Um, and it's really interesting in, in Israel today, you know, the, the groups that are, you know, you have multiple groups in, that we see in the first century and we see in our, in our scriptures um, that were common or popular in, in these days. And of all the groups, two have continued on. Um, you know, one um, are the Pharisees, which today you would call, you know, Orthodox, you know, Jewish, you know, people, and they still have their rabbinical, you know, system. Um, and obviously you're going to have s- sects and subsets of that, but, um, you know, that you can, you can generalize it and say the Pharisees are still, you know, active and in many ways thriving um, in Israel today um, and around the world. And then the followers of Jesus. These are the two groups that have made it, you know, through history um, to today. Uh, the, the other groups you don't really see, um, you know, so much. You may have, like, inspired by um, and, you know, um, similar thoughts to, but you're not going to have a continuous line um, like you have with the Pharisees and like you have with the followers of Jesus in today's times. Um, when Claire and I were just in Israel, you know, we were at the, the Weeping Wall, the Western Wall, the, you know, one little section there that is um, still part of the, not part of the temple, but a part of the whole complex and, and structure um, that had been, you know, um, built and, and, you know, re kind of added to and, and rebuilt by, well, not rebuilt, but added to by under Herod and his instruction as a favor you know to the Jewish people um, and so he had enlarged it and made these big walls at the you know bases base of the whole complex um, and so today that's the weeping wall um, that you know people you know go to today to pray and there's a dividing line and the men on one one side of like there's an extra wall that they built and men on one side of it and the women on the, the other side of it but you still see what we saw um, Last week, um, in chapter 23, with these phylacteries, these boxes, you know, that the people wore with the scriptures and how it says here they were enlarged, I mean, and you see them today, and, and they're, they're quite, quite big, and the bands on the arms and the bands are quite elaborate and quite, you know, obvious. Um, and, and you see those traditions kind of still going on that Jesus talked about in chapter 23. It's pretty, pretty interesting. So he says in verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you, see, till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this is, you know, the, Jesus is really, you know, big last, you know, statement um, to the Pharisees and to the religious, you know, leaders in Jerusalem. And you see his heart. You see Jesus' heart for them. Though he had spoken many, you know, harsh words against their hypocrisies, I mean, ultimately, what did, what did he want? What Jesus wanted for the whole nation, and beginning with the the, the religious leaders, to to repent, um, to turn, 
and to accept him as the Messiah you know, and king. And he weeps because time after time God has sent you know, his, his people to you know, the, the nation, and, and Jerusalem is symbolic of the nation of, as a whole, but even specifically to Jerusalem time and again. And, and what happened to them? You know, they were mistreated and they were stoned and, and you know, many were, were killed. And, and Jesus knows that they're going to do the same thing to him. But, you know, what's his perspective here? It's interesting. Jesus, the Savior and the King of the universe, describes himself as a mother hen. I mean, when I read that, that, that like blows my mind. Of all the illustrations he could use, he picks a a, a, a simple like mother hen, as a mother hen does her chicks. He would gather them in. You know, it's a beautiful picture, and it's a humbling picture there that Jesus gives. But then he says these words. He says, but you were not willing. You were not willing. You know, and, and he, he puts that there, you know, the, that the, the responsibility was squarely on their shoulders. You were not willing. And he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. And this is, this is, these are prophetic words. Because they would say, right now our house isn't desolate, but it's, it's going to be. <laughs> you know. um, and that house, again, you, know, you've, you have the idea of the temple, the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Jerusalem, kind of all of it can be encompassed in this, this phrase, your house. Um, is left to you desolate. And then he says, For I say, you shall see me no more, until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like, his time with them, his time to um, convince them, um, to instruct them, you know, is, is done. And so there's a shift here in the book. There's a closing of that, of that part of the ministry of Jesus where he had the role um, of prophet to instruct them you know to change their their minds and to change their ways but he's basically done with that now in verse 24 chapter 24 it says Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple and Jesus said to them do you not see all these things Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So there he's specifically talking about, you know, the, the temple, the, the main, you know, the building of, of the temple. Um, he's not necessarily talking about, again, those like foundational lower, it's, actually, it's like there, up there is the temple mount and down below, you know, holding the dirt you know, in around the whole area. He's not necessarily referring to all that, though most of that didn't make it either. You know, it's just that one section that's still there, you know, today. Um, and then in verse 3, and it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, um, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So here, there's, there's really kind of two questions at play. I think there's two questions at play. I, I, I want to think the disciples know that they're asking two questions, whether they fully understand how many questions they're asking. But they're asking basically, you know, like, when is the temple 
um, going to be destroyed. And they're asking, you know, when, you know, will your return, you know, be? When is everything, you know, going to change? And so then Jesus says this. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 4, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Uh, let's stop there for, for a moment. So, you know, for his second coming, he is obviously putting some distance between the events of his time and when the end comes. Um, you know, it takes a while for a nation to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And, he, you know, he's saying there's going to be a secession, you know, of these things. So, you know, that's not something that can, you know, take place, you know, just overnight or in a matter of a few years. Um, you know, you're, you're talking a much greater span of time. I think the fact that this was 2,000 years ago shows us that as, like, that interpretation of, is correct. You know, that there's a, 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 a long period of time here. It's also interesting that he says birth pangs, and I think that that's, you know, that is um, important, and it's also hopeful. You know, obviously, I haven't given birth. My wife has gone through that process, you know, three times, and there's pain Involved, but there's also a hopeful, joyful, you know, end result of that pain, right? So, you know, it's not that he's just saying, hey, there's death and there's only death, or there's pain and there's only pain, there's sorrow and there's only sorrow. No, there's going to be something, there's an indication there using that about birth that there's going to be, you know, a new birth, a recreation, you know, of the world, that God is going to set things anew and in order in a, in a better way way and we're not going to have to deal with all these you know wars and violence and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and all this stuff there's going to be a point in time where all that's done and so you know all of the all of those bad things are ultimately going to lead us to a point where there will be an, a, a Jesus as king over everything and peace and joy you know, unhindered by the sinful problems of our individual hearts and of our world as a whole. Now, that's something to be hopeful and thankful for. And you've got to have, you know, when you read a passage, when you're reading passages like this, you know, you, you don't want to just quickly skip over the, the parts of hope and of joy that are there. Because otherwise, you know, you just walk away after reading Matthew 24 and you're like, whew, I'm depressed. You know, like, ooh, that's bad. You know, you gotta, you gotta grab hold of those things that are, that are good. You know, and we take the, and, and keep um, that in the perspective, you know, that, that helps us deal with all the junk. Knowing big picture, ultimately, there's joy and peace that comes in the end when Jesus comes back to rule and to reign. All right, but now. So he says, you know, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. So that is something that we have to be, you know, mindful of. Um, and, you know, since the time of Jesus, many have claimed to be the Messiah, you know, to be the Savior, to be the Christ. Many have, have claimed that. 
Um, they're, you know, people today making those claims or who made those claims and their followers are still waiting, you know, for them to come back from the dead or something to happen. You know, one of them that's, um, was a, what, that, you know, some of these, many of these usually end poorly, right? You know, your David Koresh, you know, type scenario. But here's one, um, you know, Moses of Crete in the 400, you know, 400 ADs, 400s AD. Um, yeah, he, he was a special one. He, um, you know, he had the name Moses and, and you're the, the island of Crete's out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And he's like, you know, he, got, he convinced all of his, you know, his followers that he was the Messiah. And he takes them to this pinnacle you know, place on the island. And says, you know, we're going to jump off into the Mediterranean Sea. God's going to part it like the, the Red Sea. And we're going to march back to Israel. Long ways. So that ended with a lot of people being dashed on rocks and drowning. That, that didn't go so well. You know, and, and a lot of times those things don't go so well. What we um, we see, uh, what we're going to see here, and as we move along, is that there's going to be no doubt when the true Messiah comes. When he, with his second coming, there is going to be no doubt. So, anytime anybody says the Messiah is here or the Messiah is there, you don't have to look. You already know it's not true because when it happens, it's going to be so sudden and obvious. You don't have to look and check things out. So then it says in verse 9, They will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and, and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end he will be saved the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come uh, so let's stop there for a moment because there's a few things um, we need to talk about um, and again we have in this this whole thing thing of prophecy that many times there are they're like early things that happen um, that you think okay this could be it and they could be a you know a partial fulfillment but then in the future there's the full fulfillment and, and we'll talk about that more um, in a minute because you know certainly for the you know those disciples that hear this many of them meet a tribulation many of them are hated um, you know many of them are killed for their faith, you know, for the first followers of Jesus, that wasn't an unusual thing to happen. And throughout history, from time to time, persecutions have arisen in one place or another. And even in our days, for followers of Jesus, you know, there are persecutions that arise where people lose their life for the name of Jesus. So, in terms of application, um, you know, these verses have some scariness to it, but in terms of application, it gives us reason to make sure that we don't fall in love with the things of this world. If you fall in love with the things of this world, it can be easy to fall away, because if you love the things of the world, then when persecution comes and you have to decide whether you're going to continue with the things of the world or not, 
if you love the things of the world, you're going to, you know, there's the falling away. And so it's important that we don't love the things of this world, that we understand the things of this world are temporary. We see that those who have a true faith are going to endure to the end. And, you know, this is, it's one of those things that, you know, that, that early discipleship isn't the indicator that somebody, you know, is a, a true follower of Jesus. Jesus. Just like, go back to the parable of the, the soils that Jesus gave, where some, you know, it sprung up and it looked good, but then persecutions arise and, you know, it's choked out. And so that's in, in view here. You know, from our perspective, you know, it can look like somebody's come to faith. It can look like they're, you know, they're a disciple of Jesus, but then ultimately not, that not be the case. You know, it, the truth is revealed um, in the end, and, and the true heart is known. True heart's known by God all the time, all the way. But uh, for the rest of us, it's not. it's not. It's not revealed. It's certainly not revealed in the easy times. So there's a, you know, it's what true faith will in, endure. And so, you know, I th- again, this is one of those, those passages where, you know, for the early church... Um, you know, for the time when, you know, Jerusalem was, you know, largely destroyed, you know, the temple was destroyed, AD 70, and there's, you know, all of that, you know, you, you know, some people are going to look and say, well, that's when all this was done, and, and, you know, we would, I think, look at it and say, well, that's where, when some of this, you know, was done, um, and that there's other things to follow, and again, this, and this is one of those situations, let me, let me just point this out, this is important, verse 14, where it says, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, you know, some who, um, you know, who, who don't believe that there's, you know, a rapture, a tribulation, a millennial kingdom, like, you know, don't believe that any of those things exist, you know, they've said, I've heard them say two things. Um, you know, one is that, well, here's the main thing, that, well, two, uh, it's, it's really two things. One is that Jesus isn't going to return until, you know, you don't have to consider anything about Jesus returning until every people group has been reached with the gospel. Until every, every people group, every tongue, every ethnicity. Um, and that that's why we do missions, is the second part of that, because by reaching those people, then we can speed up the return of Jesus. Okay, so that's the, the, the logic, you know, with that. Has, however, that would kind of take away what we're about to read in the next few chapters where Jesus talks about, you know, being ready and sudden and you don't know when it's coming. You know, we have enough data today that we know, you know, we can pretty much say these groups have been, been reached and these ones, you know, not fully, though at this point, you know, we've in some form or fashion about gotten to everybody, you know, there's, there's, you know, because what does it mean by reach, you know, and, that, and that's going to be another technical thing of, of debate. Does that mean one person, you know, has heard the good news of Jesus? Or does that, does that mean that that people group as a whole has heard the good news of Jesus? So, you know, you, you're going to get into those sort of things as well. Now, on the other hand, if you hold to a rapture and to a tribulation, to a millennial kingdom, then you, you would have, 
in the tribulation, you know, the gospel is still going forward and still being preached. And so, you know, there's still a need to be ready. You know, I don't, I don't think the message, because we have to remember, however you take this, you, you know, you can't take the message as Jesus telling his disciples, they don't need to be ready. We see that most of them expected Jesus to return in their own lifetime. So they didn't take his words as, well, until we get to place X, Jesus isn't going to come back. They also didn't take his words as, that's why we need to be you know, sharing the gospel, because we want Jesus to come back sooner. The reason that we, sh- that we want Jesus, the reason that we tell people about Jesus is not so that Jesus will come back sooner, though, Lord, come quickly, right? We want, you know, it's enough, come on back. But the reason that we share Jesus with people is simple. It's one word. Obedience. Matthew 28, Jesus told us to. Like, and and he, he told us to make disciples not so... I mean, he, in Matthew 28, he doesn't say, hey, and if you do that fast, I'll come back quicker. No, he just told us to do it. And, and we don't need a reason number two. You don't need a secondary reason or for some reason to supersede that reason. You know, and, and, and this is what we keep coming back to. And, and everything in life in terms of our relationship with God, we need as our priority and our primary, one word, obedience. To obey the Savior and King. Because he's worthy. And he's, I mean, he deserves that because he went to the cross. As we take that bread and cup to remember him this morning, we remember he went to the cross and paid our price. And though being sinless and being the definition of perfection needed nothing from us, gave us everything in himself. So, we need to obey simply because Jesus. We don't need any other reasons to obey. So what I'm saying with that is two things. One, yeah, we need to strive to share the gospel of the kingdom to preach it to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations but we also not to give you know people some sort of false idea that they're you know they can just kind of coast until that happens because that's not the case because we know as Jesus says that the return is going to be sudden you know he basically he says this he says you know if a if a person knows their house is going to be broken into, they're going to be ready for it. And they're not going to allow it to happen. He, he basically talks about his second coming as not being like that. Not something that you're... You've got to always be prepared because it's not something that you're going to be able to sit there and go, well, this, at this date or at this time. You know, and that's just another thing. Whenever somebody says, hey, we know Jesus is coming back on such and such a date. I mean... Maybe somebody will be right one of these days because even a you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then. But, you know, or a clock that's wrong is right twice a day. You know, one of those sort of scenarios. But basically, whenever somebody says, this is the date Jesus comes back, the, most, the more important part of that is just to know that that's somebody you don't even need to listen to a word that ever comes out of their mouth again. Has anything having to do with truth? You, you write that person off as like, we don't listen to your teaching about anything 
ever. And you might be right about something else, but that ain't something, I mean, there are a lot of other people going to be right about that too, so we don't need to hear it from you. You just kind of X yourself out as a, any sort of idea of being a reliable source. You can try to put a date on the return of Jesus. Just forget it. Forget whoever says, says that. You can live without that. Now, let's move on. We've got a lot more. Uh, 15. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out, of, out that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. Now again, this is one of those passages that teaches us we have to be really careful in our interpretations. The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Okay, so let me read you something uh, from Daniel chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. He's talking about a king coming from the north. He says, At the appointed time he shall return and go toward the south, but shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. So he talks about, Daniel talks about this abomination of desolation. Now that's a phrase for you, right? Yeah. Abomination of desolation, like, hey, I don't, we might not know exactly what that is, but it doesn't sound good. Okay? Now, if you had read, you know, you put yourself, you know, 180 BC, 180 years before Christ comes on the scene, and you're reading the book of Daniel, and you read about this, you know, abomination of desolation. And, you know, you've seen, you know, the, the power of the Greeks and the Greek empire. And you can see in other parts of Daniel where that empire, prophetically, has been in view and is now in power. Okay? So I'm giving you all that. And then, in 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes takes over Jerusalem. He takes over the temple. He does away with the daily sacrifices. He makes an altar to the Greek god Zeus, and he sacrifices a pig on it. You can, I mean, you can imagine the horror that that caused among the Jewish people at that time. I think it's pretty forgivable. You know, if, if they thought, which many of them did, that this was the abomination of desolation that Daniel was talking about. I mean, how could it get any more of an abomination than to set up 
an altar to a false god in the temple and sacrifice a pig on it. That, I mean, even today, you know, many rabbis believe that that prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled in 168 B.C. You can see why they think that. So that, I think that's a for, forgivable error until Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation. To say that, I mean, and what I mean by that is, you know, what happened in 168 BC, again, could be a precursor, but you can't say it's the total fulfillment. But I'm, when I'm, I'm just saying that it wouldn't have been, you know, unreasonable for somebody to think in 168 BC that this is the total fulfillment of what Daniel talked about in Daniel chapter 11. It would be hard kind of not to think that. But Jesus says that wasn't the total fulfillment of it. That wasn't it. Okay. So, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you that I'm, we're living that part of history just to show, like, prophecy is hard. Like, prophecy is difficult. Like, you know, you can think you know that you know that you know, but then, I mean, I, I think they thought that they knew that they knew that they knew, and then they didn't know. They were wrong. And what makes it really more difficult, um, well, I think what Jesus is saying here is let the reader understand. He's saying, you know, that view that you have from the past, you, you know, you, you don't have full understanding on that. You thought you knew that you knew, but you didn't know. But you didn't know. Let the reader understand. But now then that comes to us. Now we need to try to understand this. And now that's and it's and again we have to have a lot of humility because we come and going, man. That, that's hard. That's hard to figure out. That's hard to figure out. So remember, according to Jesus, that wasn't the total fulfillment of the prophecy. And then, you know, the temple, you know, was destroyed in in AD seventy. You know, that was a a horrific. Um, thing, I mean, Jesus said that you know not one stone is going to be left on another, and I mean that's certainly what happened there. But again, now Jesus, it's been not you know one thousand nine hundred fifty two years, whatever you know. My math, check my math on that. But um, you know, it's been a long time, and we still haven't seen everything yet in Matthew twenty four fulfilled. Again, you're going to have you know, we have pieces. Okay, so you have partial fulfillments, but not the, again, the story hasn't ended yet. We don't have the, the total um, end of it. But that destruction in AD 70, again, it would be forgivable for followers of Jesus at that time to say, well, remember what Jesus said, and, you know, here we are, and expect the rest of it to happen, you know, really quickly. But obviously that's not how, you know, it's taken um, taken place. Uh, he says in verse 19, But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. But pray that your flight will not be in winter or on Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. For the, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I told you in advance, so that I, 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 if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out, or behold, he is in the rooms, in rooms, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. So, now let's, uh, a, a couple of things here. Um, and again, you know, you're going to have, obviously, there's a partial with the destruction of the temple in AD, in AD 70. Um, you know, if you know the story of Masada, before this happened, some, some people that were in revolt against the Roman Empire had already gone up to Masada. Masada is out in the desert. From the top of it, you can see um, you know, the Dead Sea that's there. Um, we had the opportunity to be up on top of that you know, one morning not too long ago. Uh, Claire and I did and with Kevin and Rachel. And, and this, this was a place that Herod had built. Now, I mean, it's really interesting how wicked of a person Herod was and yet how many things he built were so uh, were ended up being used um, by God in different ways to, to do different things for example the, you know the the expansion um, and enhancement of the temple um, the port city of Caesarea we'll save that for another day that's a really important thing that's a whole nother deal uh, we've talked about it before but we'll talk about it again just because it's one of the really 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 cool things of history um, but he, he, he was a brutal person. Remember, he's the one that when Jesus was born, that he had all the male children two years under age, and two years of age and under, when searching for Jesus the Messiah, he had them all killed in that region. Okay, like, he didn't mind being brutal. He had his own family members killed. He was, a, he was a brutal dude. But he was also a tremendous builder, and he loved water. So out in the desert, up on top of this mountain, is this palace that he made with these Roman baths. They had hot water 2,000-some years ago, like very well-done hot water. I guess you would only use that in the wintertime because I don't know why you would have hot water in the desert in the summertime because it was hot. I'm just telling you, it was hot. Um, but he had, these, he had these cisterns that held, you know, so many tens of thousands of gallons of water, these massive cisterns. And there was this one little path up, it's called the snake trail, because it's like a snake with all the switchbacks, and you feel that as you hike up, you know, to the top of it. Um, <laughs> as you hike it up. And so, anyway, you're up there, and he's, you know, he's got these, these things, but it was a it was a retreat sort of place, so he didn't have a lot of people there all the time. And so those who had revolted against the Roman Empire, the Jewish, some of the Jewish people that have a particular group, they took over that. This is even before AD 70, they took over it. But once the temple was destroyed, you know, more people went up there. And then the Romans said, you know, we kind of let you be there for a while, but now we've we got to do something about this. So they had their encampments and basically surrounded... Um, you know, this fortress, but they couldn't go up the snake path because that's pretty easy to defend. So they built a ramp. They took three years out in the middle of the desert and rocks 
and sand or dirt and everything and built this ramp up on the other side. Now, some people, my wife, like my wife, are, are pretty bitter when they realize once they've finally made it to the top that there's a parking lot on the other side where you can just walk up the ramp. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, so that's what the Romans did. They just went up the ramp with the battering ram, not the thing down at night. You know, again, this is three years. And I mean, there's one scene here I just have to tell you because I'm going to probably tell you this again. But for three years, they're up there and they've got all the food they need. But this isn't a clean story. You know, they had apparently, from what we understand, they had attacked a community, you know, nearby on their way in and killed a bunch of their own people to take their supplies. So, you know, it's not a clean... We want history... Here's good, here's bad. Sometimes that's the case. A lot of times it's like, here's bad and here's a little less than bad. You know, that's kind of like what history a lot of times is. Um, so, or not less than bad. It's more like, here's wicked and here's a little less wicked. How about that? we just throw it that way. Um, but they would, you know, when they wash their clothes up in Masada and these Romans, they have to have their water like shipped in from Jerusalem and it's an ordeal out there in the desert. And they wash their clothes and they hang their clothes over the wall and just let the water drip out onto the desert. They do that for three years of like, you know, in your face, you know, sort of thing. But finally, when they realize they're going to lose, it's the night before the uh, Romans come in and they decide better to die at their own hands than to be crucified and to have their women and children be slaves and all the rest of the wickedness of war. Um, so they commit suicide. You know, they draw lots, and ten men killed all the rest, and they drew lots again, and one killed the other ten, and other nine, and then killed himself. And there was a, you know, one or two women, a couple of children had hid and survived the old ordeal. But, you know, Josephus writes about, about this, and there's some things, but again, my, holy, my only point is, in sharing that this morning, there, there's a lot of things we could talk about with that story. We can talk about it another time. But, again, with how horrific these things are, you can understand somebody reading back the words of Jesus and saying, this is all being fulfilled now. But it's not all being f- fulfilled now. Even, um, you know, if you think about World War II and you know, a war that involved, you know, so many nations in the world. And, you know, Hitler's, you know, desire to completely exterminate the Jewish people and to kill six million of them. Again, you know, you would read the words if it's, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. From what we read here, if we're going to say, you know, these things haven't been fully fulfilled yet, that's terrifying that's terrifying when you think of all the destruction that's happened in the past and it seems here um, somebody disagree with me but it seems here in you know context is everything and so in like we take the word elect for example the elect that are in view it's context like for in one for example um, in one verse you know Jesus is referred to as the elect one what does that mean well he was the one appointed to go to the cross you know for our sins you know, a lot of times today they, that term gets used, you know, for salvation, but it's not always used that way. You know, the nation of Israel was elect, meaning that they were appointed to be part of a certain program that God had, a certain 
part of his plan. Okay, So I'm not here to talk about all the various things about election this morning, but in the context of Matthew 24, it seems like the elect has to do with the nation of Israel, that if it's not, in this case, with what's going to happen, if it's not for God's you know, hand to stop the wickedness, that all would be exterminated. And, you know, we've, we've seen that happen throughout history. You know, you saw it happen with Hitler. Um, you saw it happen with Esther back in the Old Testament, you know, where there was a, a plot to completely kill all the Jewish people. So, you know, it's, you know, we shouldn't be super surprised if that attempt is made again. You're just not, I mean, that's, that's horrific to think about or to, to say. But now let's finish this morning. Um, make sure you got everything there. Again, return to Jesus as he says, just as a lightning comes from the east and finishes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Like, it's not going to be one of these things where you need to go, well, hey, this person's over here doing miracles, or this person's out in the desert like John the Baptist, or this whatever. No, this, throw all that out the window. Because it says that if you look into those things, you could be, like, tricked, right? People could be tricked. People that are trying to follow God could be tricked. So he's saying, don't even look at that. Because when it, Jesus comes again, the second time, the second coming, it's going to be, it's like, such a sudden boom sort of way. There's not going to be any, like, you know, Jesus has already proved who he is. He's already done all his miracles that he's going to do. In that sense, when he comes again, he's just coming back to reign and power. He's going to come back to judge and to set up his reign as king, right? So, don't have to think about that. Verse twenty-nine. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from the end of the sky, one end of the sky to the other. And so again, there you have, you know, tribulation, destruction, and then also hope, you know, all there together in the words of Jesus here. It reminds us in our study of Revelation in chapter 1. Um, where it says in verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and is, and who, who is to come, the Almighty. And so in both of those passages, you have this idea that all the tribes of the, of the earth um, will mourn because of him. You know, they will see him as he, as he is. Uh, and it reminds back, you know, if the promises that God, you know, that God made to Abraham that in his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. You know, and, 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 and we also see throughout scripture that Jesus is the rock and he's, you know, to build on and he's the stumbling rock of the offense. He's both of those at the same time. You know, and so for every person... regardless of what tribe or tongue they are from has the opportunity to have Jesus as the rock they build their life on or as the one to stumble over but thinking back to those things and it was just 
you know, I, I want to tread lightly here. Be careful in what I say because I won't say it definitively. Back in Genesis, when Abraham is told by God to go to the land of Moriah, and then he would show him the mountain to go up and to sacrifice his son Isaac is what he was, you know, the instruction that he was given, right? So. Today, you know, if you read where the temple was built by Solomon, where is it built? It's built on Mount Moriah. Now, is that the same mountain that Abraham, you know, was told to sacrifice Isaac, that they climbed up together? You know, a lot of people think, you know, that's so. I don't know that you can say it 100% definitively, but it would kind of make sense that where, you know, Abraham had his faith tested because remember the whole thing with Isaac to sacrifice Isaac it was already promised to Abraham Isaiah I mean sorry Isaac was to be the son of promise that his he was the seed that was supposed to continue you know on right that that promise had already been made and that you know, in, in Abraham's mind, Hebrews tells us in Abraham's mind, if he follows through with this, God is going to raise Isaac back from the dead. Because he believes God's promise that through his seed, and Isaac is that seed, that all, you know, that's the continuing line, that all of the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And that's where the temple was was built, you know, is, is that's the thought there. It wouldn't be surprising that that's where the temple would be built to where these sacrifices would be made all the time and particularly on the Day of Atonement for the you know sins of the people, that all of that picture would be kept intact. And then ultimately that because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, he's the fulfillment of all of that. Ultimately, he is the seed of which all the families of the earth are to be blessed by. And so it's, you know, it's, it's all kind of there. It's all there, you know, together. And so, especially if that is Mount Moriah, where if Mount Moriah is the mountain that Abraham was on top of with, with Isaac, when you go back to the end of 23 and you, and you see you know, Jesus seeing all of that and weeping, I mean, how much sense? I mean, it just all makes so much sense you know, that he'd be weeping over that and of their rejection of him because he is to be the fulfillment of, of all of those blessings of God for them and for everyone else. And to see how that's been distorted. You know, when he went into the temple, we already had him go into the temple earlier, and they, you know, the money change of people just profiting and you know, making a mockery based of what's supposed to be this house of prayer. And he's overturning the tables, and he's angry. Like, it makes sense that because it's the, you know, it's the temple, but also the place with you know, Abraham and Isaac. Like, if you, you know, you put all that in there together, like, his righteous anger, his weeping, you know, what, knowing that for all of this, he goes to the cross for us. Like, you put it all together there in perspective, and it, and it helps our, us to see 
you know, this, this big picture. And, and ultimately we know the important thing is that Jesus, you know, he is going to return. What are our big takeaways for application this morning? Jesus is going to come back. So don't love the things of this world. Love the things that last into eternity. What are the things that last into eternity? Well, God. People. The Word of God. You know, these things last into eternity. Love those things which last into eternity. Don't love the things which are temporary. Because God's going to replace those temporary things with much better things. So, so don't lose for the love of the temporary what's going to be even better in the future. And it's going to be without corruption. And it's going to be without sin. So love the things that are permanent. And you know, be obedient. And regardless of what tribulation comes, whether it's a small one or a big one, you know, if it's something to do with the end times or if it's not, it's just you know, a localized thing in history. Be faithful. Be obedient to the one who has called you as king. If it's, you know, if it's a small persecution in your class because you stand up for Jesus and truth, stand up in that time. If it's a small persecution at your work because you don't laugh at the dirty joke or that you won't do the unethical or the immoral thing, or if standing up for Jesus costs you your job, so be it. Like, honor the one who died for us and who rose again. Let him deal with the consequences of honoring him. He can, he's proven himself throughout history that he can handle all of that. But be faithful, because it says, you know, many are going to turn away. And if we can't handle the small persecutions, you know, what about when big ones come? What about when laws get changed? You know, and you know, we're just fortunate and to, to live in a place and time where we have relative freedom. We don't have complete freedom you know, when it comes to our faith, but we have relative freedom, a lot of it, comparatively speaking. A lot of our brothers and sisters of Christ around the world, they don't have that. You know, we shouldn't take it for granted, and we need to remember them and pray on their behalf. Because for them it is... They are at times in positions where it's deny or die. You know, and so we've got to keep it in perspective. We've got to keep our lives in perspective of the big picture. What followers of Jesus throughout history have endured. And it shows us our king is big enough for anything. He's big enough for anything and he's worthy. Our savior is worthy to suffer anything so usually thankfully in the normal course of events you know our burden to bear is light and our cost to pay is small but whatever it is let's be willing to in the name of Jesus and with his power and his strength carry it for his honor and his glory let's pray Heavenly Father we love you and we thank you this morning for your word it is good and it is precious and in places it is really difficult. And so we come to you humbly and we thank you for it and we ask that you would continue to teach us and to instruct us. Lord, as, 
we come this morning, Father, to remember the gift that you sent us, your son, Jesus, to die for us. We are so thankful that a payment for our sin was made in full at the cross. There is nothing we need to do to add to it. As we take that bread and that cup this morning and give thanks for our salvation, we also ask for help to endure the temptations and struggles of this life. Help us, we pray, for your glory and for your honor. Lord, you know my heart, my mind, and how easily distracted I am. Lord, I know that's true for many of us. So we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to focus on the important and on the eternal. Above all else, Lord, you know the stuff that we have to just get done in the day, that even stuff that you've given us to get done. But Lord, help us to keep it in the right perspective of what you've given it. We just want to lift up your name and take the time this morning to honor you. As we take the bread and the cup, we give you thanks in your name, dear Jesus.